2: Telling you, bro, what's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting the more Peggy old? Hi, this is Shane Terrio. And you are listening to the Riff Rap. stories and insights from the front line. Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning in. It's been a while. I'm trying to crank these out as fast as possible. I've got some great guests coming up. It's a beautiful day, August in New York City. Cranking these things out for you. I love hearing from you, you know, because sometimes it's like I think I'm talking to myself doing these things. I must be crazy, but uh, it's always nice to get emails from people and know that they're enjoying it. All right. Today my guest is Mr. John Harrington. My old buddy John, he's long been one of New York City's top tier musicians and first call cats. His resume boasts many many credits. but the mainstay of this is the coveted guitar chair with Steely Dan, a gig he's had since uh, 1999, I believe. Now John's also worked with um, Michael Brecker, Bob Berg, Bette Midler, Boss Skaggs, Madeline Peru, tons of people. You know, you might say, man, if somebody had to go in and sub for John, those would be some huge shoes to try to fill. And yes, you'd be correct, because I've had to do it not just once, but twice. John was gracious enough back in 2007 or 2008, I don't remember, to recommend me for Boss Skaggs gig. The Boss Gags gig Well, he was out with Steely Dan And then he got me hooked up with Madeline Peru A gig I had for years And we rotated chairs I kept his chair warm While he moved in and out of the Steely Dan tours So this is a fun one, man We had a lot of laughs, you can hear But I've never asked John all this stuff So I asked him about his early years And what his first break was in New York His first solo record he talks about his Broadway gigs and how he landed the gig with Steely Dan. And what's it like to play with those guys, recording with them. Really funny stories. This one has a lot of great nuggets of advice for younger musicians, too, that are nestled in all the jokes and bad humor. So this is probably one of the longer interviews I've done as well. And John solos over Black Friday and shows me all these cool moves. Okay, so I'm in Soho, New York City. Walking up to John's studio that he shares with producer, keyboardist extraordinaire Jim Beard. And here we go. All right, shut up, Terio. Here we go. Plugging in, playing some licks. Enjoy.
1: Got all these guitars, and none of them I like. I
2: oh, don't like the blues or something? Sure. <laughs> all right i'm sitting here in new york city with john harrington my i guess i could say old friend yeah i mean I you you're can not say that. old i just mean we've <laughs> known each other a while we have <laughs> true Thanks for making the time to do this. And, you know, this is like a totally chill thing. And it's not a serious interview. I'll add it all. <laughs> but I want to tell the uh, the listeners how we first met. I think it was through, was it through Tim Bullard, Mutual Friend? I think friend. it was. But I, I want to tell you, because, you know, before we get into John's story and everything, I came up to New York years ago. And John offered to take me to the 55 Bar to hear Wayne Krantz. Oh, that and we what, didn't really okay. know each other.
1: Was that what it was? Yeah. Wow.
2: So he took me, and that was like when it was the scene was really happening. I remember being blown away. I'd never heard Wayne Krantz before. It was slamming, man. It was with Tim and um, Keith Carlock. And then you said, let's go to this club called Smoke.
1: <laughs> That's right. I remember that.
2: <laughs> it happened to be my birthday, and we walked into this club. Who was the organ player
1: the guy? Oh, man. I'm not sure I remember. It was... There's a guy that used to do that gig all the time. I for, I forget. Well, anything.
2: anyway, we walk in, and
1: but it's I, a classic old room. Yeah, we had, had organ. a couple of
2: beers, and I remember you told me when we walked in, man, I can't hang long. I've got to take my daughter to school. Oh really? and It was like a Wednesday wow. night. Yeah, this was a while this ago. Was a long time ago. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's like one of these New York only kind of stories. You know, where it can only happen in New York. So we're we're sitting listening to this amazing music, and. uh, this birthday cake. These people are sitting across from us, right? And this birthday cake comes out and they're singing happy birthday and it says, Happy birthday, Shane. I was like, What the hell? How did they know? Like what are we doing? And it just so happened that the couple across from the, the table we were sharing, the guy's name was Shane.
1: That's unbelievable. I forgot that was, all that. That was unbelievable. I, remember. I didn't remember event all number that. one. Then
2: right. Unbelievable event number two was like five minutes later when Joe Pesci walks in. (laughs) Oh, that's right. With Joey (laughs) DeFrancesco smoking cigars, looking like a bunch of mobsters. And I don't know if you remember, but we we were having a great time, man. We were drinking beer and having fun. And it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. I get up to, you know, go take a leak. Joe Pesci cuts me off in line. (laughs) You know? And I I went, I kind of like, i Kind of went off on him. I go off on him, but I said, Hey, man, like, you know, there's a lie. <laughs> I couldn't believe I had the balls to do because he turned around and looked at me. He goes, I'm sorry. I did, I did I do that. And I'm going, this is crazy. And you just looked at me, and we're laughing, man. That yeah. was fun. And then I remember you getting in a cab at like three in the morning, you know, and I was like, Man, that guy's gonna feel like hell tomorrow. Wow, that's wild. I had forgotten, but some that was, of those details, <laughs> that was actually. the first time we like hung out.
1: You know? <laughs> That's true. That was the first night. I think it was. That was probably the night we met. I think it was, right? It was the night we met. Now, but now, was Tim there or no? no? I guess he wasn't. He, he just he sort was of there did... for a little while, and then he didn't. I thought hang. so. Yeah. I okay. Think he, yeah. I think he came with us. To, to so the we, level. yeah, we we stayed and got into our typical trouble. I guess, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, but anyway, you know, for for those of you that, uh, most of you listening know who John is. If you don't, you know, John is like cream of the crop of New York City guitar players, and I was aware of him because we were in a Hamer ad together in the 90s. Oh, that's right, yeah. But of course I had your record. Um, I remember
1: that too, yeah. Uh, complete complete rhyming. rhyming Dictionary was called originally, yeah, now yeah. it's called something else, but uh, uh, it's called Pulse and Cadence now, But because I, I kind of got a hold of it and re- retitled it and reissued it you know so uh we still have a few copies but uh yeah that was a long time ago i made that in 1992 actually with a, a pretty stellar cast because jim beard's on it he helped he mm-hmm. produced it with me and uh victor bailey was on it um peter erskine was on it and that was the rhythm section which was pretty fabulous
2: yeah it's a great record i love that record
1: it still sounds pretty good to me it's been a long time
2: was that your first solo record? Yeah, it be, was. Right? And yeah, and,
1: and it was the only one that was really sort of a, an instrumental record, really like a sort of jazz record, not a ding ding a ding jazz record, yeah. you know. But my idea at the time, I was mean, I was a huge fan of Weather Report, so that's why I called those two guys, you know, Victor and Peter. Um, though they didn't work together in Weather Report. They worked in different mm-hmm. bands there. Um But I, I kind of was envisioning, like, a weather report sound but with a guitar in the center you know and uh kind of tried to write tunes like that yeah it still sounds pretty good it sounds
2: great i what what i remember initially hearing it, it's it been a while but and i will place a few things on this podcast i'll sort of segue into some tunes was the percussion
1: because oh, yeah. really that's arto tunchbackian he's forefront on that record i remember he's been a he's lived in america for years and years uh Um, and Jim has worked a lot with him on lots of records and, uh, he's Armenian, Mm. but, uh, I think he still lives in New Jersey. Worked with Joe Zawinul for a while and, but he's just, uh, he's, he's so much fun and he's so inventive and, uh, great writer and just soulful guy. And, uh, yeah, the, it, we used him a lot on that record and kind of counted on him a lot. Actually, there's a lot of tunes that, uh, sort of, uh where he's a big part of it. Like the the whole first section of a tune called Behind the Mask is is one of my favorites. And then Peter comes in sort of about halfway through and, it, and the feel changes, but it's, uh, it's... And it goes back to the Arto stand. You know, he's layered all sorts of stuff, and it's just so cool.
2: Yeah, I was listening to it um, last night, just a couple of tracks to sort of refresh, because it's been a long time, and the one called Kernel of Truth, I remember that one, that Melodies.
1: Now, that one's probably the, re-ti- that's on the retitled version. I forget is it? which Yeah, I forget which song that is, though. Uh, oh, you
2: changed the titles of the songs, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the actual uh, tune.
1: Yeah, I forget which one that is now. Um, is it the opening track? I wonder. I don't know. I don't remember anymore, yeah.
2: Anyway, I'll find it. I
1: had a reason for titling. I, thought I titled them, when I retitled them, I tried to find titles that would make me remember the original title so I'd know which songs. So you song not only the retitled stuff. the record, you retitled
2: the songs. And uh, the I songs, think. too. That's yeah. an ASCAP
1: nightmare right there. Well, it, it was actually done to sort of keep track of, of which, which release was earning the money. You know, oh, I see. It, but it turned out there wasn't much money to earn, so it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of tens of, a waste. of dollars. No, I'm just <laughs> <That's> joking. <right. laughs> you know? Tens of dollars is about <laughs> right. <laughs> bra, 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 what bra, gear bra.
2: were you were you using back then? Was that a well, That's uh, a good
1: question. But uh, on that record, um, I was I used a couple different guitars. Um, I think I used primarily used a. a, a a Roger Sadowski Telly that was an unusual instrument. It was kind of, it was made more like a Les Paul with a maple cap on a mahogany body, or an ash, it was an ash body, a swamp ash, very light swamp ash body. But it had humbucking pickups in it as well. So it was a really, sort of a hybrid. Um, it was a Fender scale, but but you could get a really kind of Gibson-y kind of sound out of it. And I remember using a my favorite boogie amp that i ever owned um, which i don't have anymore but uh, it was a like a mark 2c or something like that or maybe mark yeah i think so maybe mark 2a or 2c uh, this kind of blonde boogie it, it never sounded really quite right with the speaker and the amp but we had a an old like 4x12 Marshall, put in it, and we put it in a different room which and it had oh. green back you know those 20 watt greenback speakers in it that's one of my favorite Sounds and yeah, uh, and, and so I had a cool setup because I had a separate ISO booth which I would sit in. I set up two like stereo, like NS10s, that everybody was using, and I had so I had a stereo mix that I could hear. I didn't have to wear headphones, but I was in an ISO booth, but and my amp was there so I could control it there. But we ran a long speaker cable into the other ISO booth where the 4x12 was, and we could crank it as much as we wanted. Wow, and um, and it was it was sort of an ideal way to perform because. Not only could we track that way, and we did, but when I wanted to overdub, I just kind of kept the same setup, so nothing had to move. So if I wanted to fix something or replace a solo, the sound was going to be the same because the you know the amp sounded great in that, and mm-hmm. the the cabinet sounded great in that one room. So it was it was kind of good. And once you
2: dial in a good tone, you yeah, we really just mess kept it. it. Yeah, it was,
1: it was good. We did it at the Carriage House up in Stanford. Connecticut. Wow, that place is there. This place has been there going. a long time. Yeah, <laughs> it has been there a long time.
2: Yeah. Well I wanna talk a little bit about your early years. I know you uh you're from New Jersey, but how'd you end up univer- didn't you go to University of Indiana?
1: No, I didn't. Uh I went to Rutgers, um and I studied a lot of music there, but I wasn't a music major, I was an English major there actually. And um when I got out I basically went back to for about a year I went back to where I had lived as a kid down the Jersey Shore, kind of Bruce Springsteen country. And um kept working and teaching in a music store, did kind of what I had been doing before down there. I was kind of getting restless and, it, it, you know, I was sort of thinking I wanted to get out of that neighborhood. So I ended up taking a, like, a several-month trip to Europe with a guitar and a backpack, you know, and uh, and just kind of got away. When I came back, my parents had moved to northern New Jersey a town called Morristown, so I just kind of camped out there for a little while, Um and began to sort of threaten to, to move into New York and do some gigs there. Uh, I, I did finally rent a par- an apartment in Tenafly, New Jersey. And I was beginning to do some work in the city. I had a couple, you know, starting to get a few session calls here and there. But I wasn't real confident. And I, I, I didn't even have a, a, a solid body guitar at the time. I didn't. Like where you could bend strings mm-hmm. I kind of was playing a jazz guitar and had been studying that kind of intensely for many years at, at college. And so I wasn't really equipped to play, you know, most gigs that right. weren't pure jazz gigs. And I didn't have many of those either. But so it was kind of a funny time. Um and I basically well the first I, I got a gig, uh a very short lived uh touring gig from the first one with Jack McDuff. Who was uh, wow yeah and um, that's the first time I actually ever went to Indianapolis visited Indianapolis because that's where I quit the <laughs> <We didn't laughs> last time we you know he would drive we would leave he left New York just in, and picked me up in Morristown at a gas station, you know, my mother dropped me off. <laughs> it, was <pretty> funny. <laughs> yeah. and, and it was pretty, I'm sure she was a little concerned when she saw the, 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 the all my bandmates. New employers, <laughs> And Jack had the, you know, the Cadillac. And uh, oh, since man, I was a new guy, school, I had to sit man. in the back seat in the middle on the hump, you know, oh, wow. and he had the trailer, you know, like connected to the, to the, to the caddy. And they basically left with just enough time to get to the gig and play it in the south side of Chicago. So this is like a 20-hour drive. <laughs> you know, with no no break and you know, no hotel and it was unbelievable. <laughs> it just was unbelievable. This was how he did it. And so needless to say that didn't last too long, you know. I quit just after he and we 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 ran out of gigs and he he parked us in this hotel that was on the like you know, like the, the every city has those that like sort of big Ring with a like a highway. It's usually called four ninety five or right, two ninety five. Yeah. I forget yeah. what it's called in Indianapolis, but but there's you know there's some hotels. They're usually like I mean, like really pretty yeah, cheesy can, hotels, and they don't have restaurants. They have like vending machines with Hourly those cheers and, and with those cheese and <laughs> cheese and crackers sort of snacks yeah, you can right. get, potato chips. You know, that's where he left us. None of us had a car. We were all riding in his car. He went up to Chicago to hang with a girlfriend, I think, and. Uh, he, he called us and said, "I want to go up in Chicago get some more gigs for us. You know, like, <laughs> you, you guys wait here. You know, and like this is like you know, we shit. can't get to the city. There's no Uber in those days. You know, we didn't have any money. He only paid us on the gig gig days. He didn't pay us when we were just out. You know, so <laughs> so I was quickly. This was a, I was learning really fast. Like you know what a good gig was and what a, a bad gig was. Yeah. <laughs> and so so I kind of quit in Indianapolis and I took a train back because I had a gig. You know, at, at a place called Gullivers in North Jersey that was kind of a a guitar room. I mean, Sco used to play there all the time, and and my teacher Harry Leahy used to play there all the time. So this was a big deal for me to have a gig there because I'd never done one there before, and so I, I had to get home for that, you know. And here I was stranded. So I just, I just paid for my own trip home from Indy, and <laughs> and uh, that was that was the end of that. But you
2: know, don't you think that some of those gigs, like Jack McDuff, that's that's school. Well, know? it was, you know, and Even and funny,
1: it, I, there's another another uh, like. Thing I learned uh, many years later, uh, and I and I and when I look back at the gig with Jack, it's it's fascinating to me because gigs get offered to you sometimes at like the right time for your, you know, like the right time in your career or in, you know the right circumstances for the time, and then other times they're just not they're not right. There's something wrong or there's something right and. And that makes that kind of makes a huge difference in how well the thing turns out. With, with Jack, it was interesting because I really, I really didn't play the style that that really would have been best for his band at, at that age. Because I was I was more I was more into Jim Hall and like uh, and playing like trying to play like Bill Evans piano pieces on the guitar, you know, and like and the chord thing and the real sort of serious. almost more academic jazz thing you know Mm -hmm. and and he needed like a guy who could really do that sort of that beautiful blues and jazz kind of hybrid thing that grant green does so well and uh, did so well and and that benson does so beautifully you know where you know where that that was really what he needed because that's the way he played and Mm -hmm. and that's what everybody who played well in his band ended up embracing in it and like about about 15 years ago I would have been great for that you know and, and musically I would have known what to do and, and would have. Been, I would love I would love it you know but but of course 15 years later there's no way I was going to take a gig that paid $60 a night on the night you were working yeah, right. didn't pay you on the nights <laughs> you were traveling and with with conditions that were just impossible yeah, really sure. and so you know so so even though I would take that gig at that time I wasn't really the right player for it and then later, I wouldn't have taken that gig, uh, even though I was—I would have been a good player for it, you know. So it was funny like that. And um, it wasn't until the Steely Dan gig where I, where sort of the stars sort of all aligned in a way, and and I was the right kind of player. The gig had the right kind of conditions at, at the right time. It, Twenty years earlier, I probably wouldn't have been mm-hmm. quite capable of doing that job as well. I don't think, you know. But but at the time it was offered it was the right time for me mm-hmm. so that's, that's a fascinating thing you know mm-hmm. i mean uh, and, and it, no, it's it. not just it's not just the you know not just your own preparedness or your own place in your in your career but but also you know the the terms of the job and and what terms you require you know yeah. and i can i almost get to a point now where I, I could i could take a gig for for and not really worry much about the money Right, i might choose to do something just because i love the music you know right but that wasn't really the case no you any time earlier because it seemed like that was necessary you know especially once my daughter was born then that was very necessary right, right as jimmy ponder once told me he says i got three kids and they like to eat every day <laughs> <laughs> aaron
2: Neville told me one time he was, well the one thing about kids is they don't go away because <laughs> they were all asking for money constantly right uh, but you know I, it's interesting what you're saying, like gigs and, and uh, how you how you acquire gigs in the right time. And, and one thing to me, what I, Indiana, I know why I thought of Indiana, because that's your your buddy, Jim Beard. Right. And Kenny Aronoff. And before we, I'm going to let you tell did, the whole story. But yeah. I, I think it's really cool that right now we're sitting in a studio that you and Jim own. And you've known each other since college. It's been a long Played time. Played on, uh, you're, you're in Steely Dan together. You work with Madeline together. I ring the buzzer to the studio. I see... Beard Harrington. <laughs> it's pretty cool that your buddy, you know, you're still working again. Yeah, we so.
1: we, uh, we go back a long way now. Uh, I didn't finish telling you why I actually en- oh, ended up in sorry. Indianapolis, but uh, because I, I forgot, we got sidetracked. But um, but I actually moved to uh, chasing a girl, of course, and uh, <laughs> and and New Jersey wasn't all that that happy. I was a little little. I had a little bit of an identity crisis. I was beginning to want to work. And all I really had been doing there was were these little jazz gigs and you know, they didn't pay anything and and I, I, I found it hard really, although I loved my uh my teacher, Harry Leahy, you know, he's a fantastic guitar player and a great teacher. I couldn't really see just sort of staying there and kind of trying to imitate his life, you know, in that in that world. But that's all I kind of had aspired to for many years when I was studying in in school and everything. So um So, I don't know. I think I was just looking for something different. And, and, you know, if you want something different, like, yeah, move to Indianapolis. Like, wow, what was I thinking? You know, it sounds like a crazy thing to do. And somehow, amazingly, it turned out to be really one of the greatest things I ever did uh, for, for me musically, which which was a total shock because when I went out there, I thought I'd be reading the one ads and looking for any kind of job, maybe a writing job or something, you know, proofreading or something. I don't know. I didn't know what I was going to do. But the first weekend I got there, I happened to go and hear some music, and there was a big band night, I think, on Mo- on a Monday night that I went to, and I met a bunch of players, all local players, and they were the most welcoming people you know, it was nothing like New York. It was everybody was. It was a small sort of scene, but there was a, there was a there was a handful of really top notch players on every instrument, but only a handful. There wasn't a lot of depth in terms of the players there, but there were there were really great players, and they were getting all the work, of course, but they were so, you know, open arms and and welcoming to me that. Uh, the... the you know the the first full week i was there i was obviously i was going to people's houses and you know, playing jazz jam sessions i got a gig at a little rib joint like one night and uh i started you know w- within like i think probably within less than a month or two i was beginning to get called for some session work and i ended up buying guitars and buying like solid body guitars and bending strings again and buying amplifiers and effects and and basically it turned out there was a it was a great little but but really great uh studio scene there with really good players there there was a there were a couple studios uh that did it was it's indianapolis in the bible bell of course and there were a couple studios that that uh were run by uh people who were basically like offering recording for christian recording uh bands and 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 even traveling you know families and things that you know that that went and did gigs around, you know, Sunday school <laughs> over the Midwest. They would come record a record there. So sometimes it was an orchestra session, sometimes it was just rhythm section. But there was they were doing records kind of all the time there, and you know, not not great records, but uh, but the but the work was good. Mm-hmm. And uh, they and weren't the, like
2: gospel spec sessions or something. <laughs> yeah, when <well>, the <laughs> the, the best it ever
1: got were was like, you know, like like you you'd get somebody who was like an an Amy Grant wannabe or something uh-huh. like that you know so there were some really yeah. great talent uh-huh. people and and they would um but it was you know the great players to play with and and good sound we used to i mean it was some of the music was was a little funny and we used to nickname it Gzak because <laughs> because it was like muzak for yeah. jesus but um but it was great work and we all appreciated it and there were there was also sort of a, a non union scab uh, jingle scene there too which which I worked in a little bit too, um, mostly for local commercial stuff, you know. But, you know, I, if I had stayed in New York, you know, I, if I ever got called to do a session or something, I would have been, would have been so green, yeah. probably fall flat on my face and not get called back. And there's so much competition. It was not as welcoming a place, you know. Um, but this, so this was a fantastic place to sort of, you know, to learn at, at a, at a w- with a lot lower Pre- a lot get less pressure yeah. get paid for it reasonably well not like you'd get paid in new york but um you didn't need to make that much money it was cheaper to live out there at that time and uh so you know it, it was fabulous and i lasted about three years plus while i was out there i happened to meet you know all those musicians who were who were at the indiana Univ- university of indiana including jim beard and kenny aronoff was living down there and we right. we, we had a great band. Uh, which had Bob Hurst on the bass which had Kenny Kenny Aronoff on drums, Jim mm-hmm. on keys me on was guitar. It, was it was a fusion band sort of? Uh it was actually a, a sort of a dance band. Oh, we okay. were it was this was the early 80s and um it was the beginning of MTV but there was a lot there was still a lot of work in clubs and we we had we put together a band with three front singers and and then this backup band, you know. And uh we did a lot of a lot of the dance music at the time like uh, i remember we played one of freddie washington's tune uh forget me Nots." So i don't remember that one wow. we played uh like bowie's let's dance you yeah. know we played uh i forget what else i don't know it was fun and um chris bodie was in the band <laughs> playing trumpet so we it was you know there's a lot of people there and you know i got to meet a lot of those guys uh and and work with them all the time so it, it it was an amazing combination of, like, there was jazz work to be had. I got to play with all those guys that that had been working with Wes out there, Wes Montgomery, yeah, the I Mon- mean, Montgomery and brothers. including Wes's brother, who was still alive, buddy Montgomery. I got to work with him and a great drummer named Ray Appleton. I used to play all the time with him. So there was real jazz playing to be done. And, then, you know, they loved anybody who loved Wes. And I, of course, was steeped in him. I loved Wes. And uh, so they were just happy to have any guitar player who knew and loved Wes and you know, West died so young. A lot of those guys were still around, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that was so. It not only was the move to Indiana like great for my jazz playing, but this whole studio scene that that sort of blossomed out of it. And uh, so
2: you're the big fish in a smaller. It was pond. kind of like yeah, that. Yeah, a, for over that's an three years. Yeah, because it was be a good
1: time in. to be a guitar player there too. There were there were a couple of really good guitar players, uh, but they each had a little specialty. You know, like one of one of them was great at. Uh, The Nashville sort of, you know, session style sort of playing. Another guy was a good rock solos, but couldn't read. You know, Mm -hmm. another guy was a really good jazz player, but not all that versatile. You know, so you know there was room for somebody who could kind of go a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. And I, I which you certainly are. I grew up playing rock and roll and blues, and then I studied jazz pretty deeply Mm -hmm. for many years. And and then, um, and I had studied a lot of classical music too. I, I even played a gig with the uh, Indianapolis Symphony once, mm-hmm. playing Weyburn, you know, on mandolin, you know, wow. <laughs> which was pretty weird. <laughs> I don't think the conductor loved us, but uh, but um, they needed some money, <laughs> and like. Mm-hmm. And I had studied those pieces in college, so I kind of knew them, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think because I had some sort of range, you know, I guess I was able to work for a while there. And after about three years. Um, I, re- I realized I had done pretty much everything I was going to do there, and if I if I were to stay, it would be more of the same. And a lot of, a lot of guys did choose to stay because it was kind of a nice mm-hmm. life. But I just I, I wasn't I wasn't done. You know, I was I was still hungry for different gigs, and I missed New York. You know, so I uh, I came back, and then it was really tough for me. <laughs> ten years. Man. It was really I was I was you know putting yeah. on a tuxedo to play bar mitzvahs and weddings on Long Island just to make a living. You know.
2: <laughs> what do you consider your first big break prior to Steely Dan? Um, I know you—you you were something that it doesn't have to be a notable person anybody's ever heard of, but something that opened some doors for you.
1: You know, I think I think the the most fortunate thing about uh, my early time in New York was uh, the occasional call to. To work with Jim, who who followed me after about a year, um, from in Indy to well from Indiana to uh, New York, and when Jim got there, you know he he began to work pretty quickly with a bunch of those guys in the scene. You know, basically, it's a scene of Miles Davis and Weather Report. You know, members and 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 they're they're carrying on of that whole sort of tradition of. You know, electric jazz, kind of. I guess, for for lack of a better word, you know, it wasn't smooth jazz. It was it was, you know, sort of uh, <clears throat> a kind of style which you know, challenging and you know, compositionally based, but with lots of improvising and. But all those guys like uh, you know, Mike Brecker and Randy. Didn't
2: Brecker he work and, with Wayne Shorter when he was? Yeah, still. he worked with Wayne yeah. quite
1: early, and then John McLaughlin for years, and, 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 and Jim Beard Schofield. is who we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Jim got all players. those were and, 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 and because he was such a such a great arranger and composer he often got got asked to do producing on a lot of these records so he would call me to play and so we did we did lots and lots of records and those those were lean years in terms of my regular work but but those were highlights because it was real music we got to work we shared a studio even then back you know like quite early in jim's time here and so we were you know we were working hard all the time and jim made a bunch of records and So those were the highlights musically. Let me guess: is that yeah.
2: when you did uh, the when you were on Michael Brecker? Now you see it, now you don't. Yeah, that was
1: around that and, time. Yeah, and, and, Bob and there was Berg, a lot of Bob Berg records Riddles. and and uh, Bill Evans records, and we actually toured with Bill as oh. well um, around that period. This was '90s, you know.
2: Yeah, I played some military record. Yeah, I had all those records. And
1: Access Jim was involved in those. You know, so he was he was sort of my connection to that whole scene, and I'm sure it was that connection that also led to my being able to do that solo record. You know, for a Japanese label because they were they came to New York looking for new talent. You know, in that in that genre, I think. And uh, so yeah, it was um, those were the highlights, and and yet like again, those those were gigs that were you know they they would happen occasionally but it wasn't like I was working every week on a record like sure, that yeah. so i needed i needed regular work and i uh, had a young daughter at the time and uh, in terms of a uh, a break for the for my employment I, I i think maybe the first one was was being able to to uh, begin to play some broadway show work because mm-hmm. that really paid the bills I and mean, ultimately it was it was a lifesaver for me um you know you know when i got to new york the jingle scene was was already sort of on the downswing, you know, it, uh, there were guys who had made livings, uh, just playing jingle sessions and then album dates too. But, but there was a big jingle scene in, uh, in the eighties. But by the time I got there, which was 84, I guess, it was already on the decline. And, you know, you were, drum machines were beginning to replace drummers and, and, uh, keyboard players were basically like forced to turn into, uh, jingle writers themselves, you know, and uh, because the producer and the, and the writer would, would, would have a, a synth and, you know, lots of sounds on a computer. And so it, it kind of shifted from those sessions where there'd be a room full of musicians playing at the same time to like, you'd, you'd get called to sort of overdub on a project and there'd be an engineer, the producer, you know, a synth computer, and you'd come and, Play guitar and just overdub guitar, you know. So vocalists and guitar players okay. continued to work, um, but you know, drummers. Lots of drummers didn't. You know, I know drummers who decided to become programmers because mm-hmm. they uh, they weren't getting calls anymore. And as a result, a lot of these players who were looking for regular regular work uh, began to gravitate towards Broadway work. And all of a sudden, they, like the Broadway show was a desirable thing to have, and uh, and the playing. The caliber went up, I think, you know. And um, so I remember getting into that scene uh, and it started with The Who's Tommy, which, and I knew that music and mm-hmm. I loved I it. Know, I, I that, yeah. played all that stuff when I was a kid, you know. I was trying to figure out those yeah. acoustic guitar solos that were so cool, you know. And, you know, so that's, that, that's when I began to uh, really do that seriously. And then ultimately, um, over the years, I would work as a sub quite a lot, but then... Occasionally I would start to get called to actually play a show, you know, for, for it to be my chair, you know, and that was true with uh, that Elton John musical, Aida. He did mm-hmm. a musical. That's what you doing. It. And that I was mean, for like you, at least, Aida, I think yeah. at least four-year run. Yeah. And then I, I ended up doing the last three years of Hairspray as well, which was... Kind of fun. It was a ball, actually. We had a lot of fun and great players. Just seriously great rhythm section there.
2: That, that yeah, band. I've heard uh, about the uh, the Broadway thing and being a sub is really it's pretty torture. Tough. Yeah, it's torture. <laughs> it's, uh, I've, I've heard it's not about for all the we
1: hearted yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but I I was kind of intense at that time. I I kind of you know, I wanted it really bad. I was I was really willing to put in the time and and to really you know get it down and but it was it was intense and you know it's kind of a thankless job you know because they they kind of expect you to sound like the regular and the guy you know the regular is the guy who could do it in his sleep you know and uh well it's and, new you know. york i mean everybody expects
2: everything <laughs> to just it just works you know you yeah, just right. you just get it together and and i think it has a way of this city has a way of pulling the best out of people i well, think well it sharpens you that's yeah, for sure yeah definitely sharp gives you an edge you know i think so <laughs> Okay, so Steely Dan, how did you land that gig? I actually Well, it never was even actually through, the, through the
1: Broadway uh connection uh, after all. I mean, and a couple of things. It's kind of a in a way it's a combination of those two things I said, those two my two breaks if you think of them that way before Steely Dan were were uh being able to play a lot of that music that that original music uh, on those records, including my own record. Uh and the other one was the Broadway work which paid the bills. And uh I uh I had met a guy actually in the Tommy pit, um named Ted Baker. You know, sure, you I know knew, Ted, you know Ted. Of course. Um, and uh so we we'd become friends because we'd done a lot of work together in that in that show. And uh he had gotten a gig uh, playing all the rhythm tracks for Steely uh first studio record, I think maybe 18 years or something, uh, a record called Two Against Nature, mm. which they, I think, were working on for...
2: 18 years? You well, know, for three years, <laughs>
1: probably like two or three years, and I think they started maybe in 98 or something like that. Uh, it, it was done in 2000. But uh, Ted had been playing all the rhythm sections, uh, dates, and um, and I think at the towards the end, in like late 99, they, I guess Walter had played everything he was going to play on it, and... Uh, they were looking for a guitar player to play some rhythm guitar on a, on a few tunes. And so they asked Ted if he could recommend somebody. And, and he happened to have a copy of that record I had done, you know, that solo, the first solo record of mine, Complete Rhyming Dictionary. And uh, so he brought it into a session and they they put the record on and uh, they listened to a little bit of the first tune. And uh, I think one of them made a wise crack about how derivative of weather report it was or something (laughs) and uh um but i got a call (laughs) and so so um walter called me and um he asked me if you know I was free to come in so we booked the session and i came in and played i played uh for about maybe three hours maybe three hours and change on one tune take after take after take and without a lot of uh direction about what to do differently but so basically, what you've always heard, is, a little bit like yeah. what I've always heard. Although you know, the, I, I'd heard they were really fussy, and I can't say that I found I found them fussy. Really, um, I mean, they were particular about it being in tune, being in time, and they and they wanted to they wanted to, it to be great. You know, the high standards for sure. But yeah. but um, but difficult to work for not at all. I I, I mean, because I shared those, you know, st- I share those mm-hmm. standards. I want it to be good too. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm happy to sit there as long as they want to, you mm-hmm. know have me sit there and try something. So, um, and actually I, I, right, right, right away, I realized that there was one cool thing about, about their direction, even though it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of direction, uh, you know, instruction from them. Uh, but, but I noticed they weren't, they weren't negative about their, their comments or their suggestions. They were only positive about it, which was really interesting because I'm not like that. Like if I'm, playing by myself or like if i'm producing my own session i'm overdubbing mm-hmm. something i'll basically say "Oh, i don't I don't like that i want to change that you know and and i'm not shy about telling myself no don't do that you know i don't want to do that and i try to fix it try to come up with something better but they would say oh you hear that you hear that that's good Play, play more like that oh, you know yeah. so, so it would be just sort build of build on yeah and and, and and also just sort of the right attitude it fosters yeah. you know a more enthusiastic yeah. you know positive attitude and so and, and i noticed that right away although they really didn't say a lot you know anyway we finished the tune and um the session and when i was leaving walter said Yeah, know hey you're gonna be around next week i'll have you come back and do some more you know i said yeah i'd love to you know so uh, he says all right i'll call you so i go Every, everything seemed good you know week goes by no phone call 2 weeks go by no phone call <laughs> 5 weeks go by no phone call you know so i had given up on it mm-hmm. and say okay well easy come easy go you know and and finally after 5 weeks the phone rings again it's Walter. he said, hey, you know that track you played on uh, whenever that was i, I said yeah i remember <laughs> he says he says well we're not going to use anything you played on it. <laughs> so i said <laughs> okay, you know, and then like, but we want you to come. So then, you know, he's pulling my leg, of course. But he was right; he he didn't use. Anything <laughs> use on it. It. They didn't use anything on that one. No, they they chucked it, but um, but he did invite me back to play, and I I did play several more sessions, and I ended up on four the four tracks that I played on after that first uh-huh. one, you know, but not the first one. That, still that was know. your audition, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So what were you
2: thinking when you when you? <laughs> walked out of there the first time like man i just joined this whole elite group of guitar players that have you know done things and some some of them never seen the light of day like all these famous soloists that have went in one after another cattle call and
1: well because it wasn't a solo i think you know these this was just a little rhythm guitar part um i i didn't really i didn't i didn't really react like that i wasn't thinking about that um for some reason i uh I I felt, you know, at that time in my life and and my work, you know, it felt like I could do that job. You know, like okay, yeah, I can I can do this. I kind of did a lot of that and uh and I knew it was these two guys and I knew how much I loved their music. Um but I didn't find myself, you know, uh unduly nervous. I wasn't I wasn't thinking that you know, that I was the wrong guy for the job or I, I didn't have any of those fears I I I didn't have any expectations that it would mm-hmm. lead to anything but but I was happy to do it and they seemed they seemed cool they were easy to work with I liked I liked um and I didn't have a problem with them wanting to do take after take and uh, mm-hmm. and um I just was sort of happy to have another day of work you know and sure. and I I wasn't overthinking it that way which is I think was g- lucky for me it was approach. probably good yeah. um I think I did more of that, thinking, you know, when he had, you know, when those weeks went by and he didn't call when he said he would, you know. You <laughs> so, said you would call me. Yeah, yeah. You never so I called. think I went through a lot of changes then, but, <laughs> but it, you know, I got I, I got over it too, and then uh, then I was again pleasantly surprised when he when he called back, but you know, somewhere well, during those four the sessions, I guess it probably was maybe four more times I went in, somewhere during that run, they they popped the question, you know, says we're going to be doing a lot of touring next year. Looking for a guitar player? Would you Would you be interested? They're
2: looking for a guitar player? do You know anybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: so, no, man. That's so uh, yeah. That was, that's,
1: that was that was how that one happened. It was it was thanks again to Ted Baker. Yeah, uh, the great. It's always and somebody Bre- Broadway, to give you a recommendation. And also, uh, you know? My my record, you know. So it's it was a combination of, and that's the thing. That's that's the sort of strange thing. I, I I've had students, uh, you know, high school age, you know, like wanting to be Serious musicians for their career, you know, ask me like, "Well, what do I have to do?" You know, like, you know, what's the best way to make a million dollars in a hurry? Like, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> and uh, I said, "Well, you know, start with." I two said, "You know, they, they, I mean, when, they've got all sorts of programs, and, and some of these kids have been in those programs. You know, where you okay, you do this first, and then you do that next, and you get this degree, and then you practice this, and you, you know, they, they they sort of they lay it out as if this is you know the way to." As if there's a plan and a step-by-step approach. You know? no, like I kept like telling, that. I like, well, you know, when you get out, the, when you get out in the real world, you know, you're going to find something else is going on. You know, I mean, you, you'll you'll need work, so you'll look for work, and you'll get you'll get a job. You'll probably get a job doing something, you know, um, musical, you know, and you'll either like that job or you'll hate that job or you'll you'll feel sort of, you know, in the middle about it. If you love the job. You're going to really get into it, and you're going to sound really good at it. You're going to get better and better at it, and it's going to lead to other jobs like that job. Mm-hmm. You know, if you hate that job, you're going to quit that job and look for another job which is more to your taste. So you you know, but you're going to have a lot of enthusiasm. You're going to run run like as fast as you can in the other direction. You know, so and 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 your life is going to be a combination of these kinds of responses to opportunities that either are good for you and you like, or that are bad for you and then and you run from, you know, and, and these are going to define you. I mean, and sure enough, one of these kids, you know, hardworking, you know, guitar player can play a lot of, with a huge range, you know. Mm-hmm. He got a gig, like, some Japanese composer was doing, like, this kind of, sort of, almost like a heavy metal sort of Broadway-type show or something with uh, several guitar players. I think they are all on stage roles, and, like, you know, they're... It's it's all seven or eight string I think eight string guitar and it's all that wow. boom, super yeah. cranked yeah. you know and it's it's time signature changes here and it's all it's all kind of run on a machine I guess with click and all that but but just ridiculously hard you know and you know that and he got this gig and because he he would put the time in and and he could do it I mean he he could he got the gig because he could do it. And now I haven't figured, I haven't found out yet whether he really likes it or not. But if he really likes it, it's probably gonna. He's probably gonna be one of the. Well, just get him. he He can do it. He'd yeah. be great at it. You know, like because he can do that. You know. But if he doesn't like it and he wants to sort of define himself otherwise, then then he'll be careful. He won't want to take the next gig that's offered that's the same as that it's easy he want, yeah, because he wants he, pigeonholed. Yeah, because you know he just wants to, you know. So like anybody and the. Again, it's just a series of responses to the stuff that the world throws at you, it seems to me. And and that's how you end up sort of figuring out who you are. The world has to help define mm-hmm. you. You can't really just do it with blinders on, you know, because mm-hmm. you can't afford it. You have to sort of interact with the world. And so, oh, you know this too. You know, it's, you
2: know. Well, I was, uh, yeah, I mean, you would say Ted Baker three the you know, the hookup for, it, it's always, that's what I tell players it's like meet people because yeah. look at you and Jim it's the only years way later, it's ever happened now you guys have worked yeah. together and it, you always end up with this little nucleus of people that you come up with and you you That's you true. were John was gracious enough to you recommended me we didn't even know each other you recommended me for boss Skaggs right, and Madeline and I was yeah, we were, those gigs for me. Yeah. we were rotating for three years I know on those gigs I was Every That's time where you met Ted, out. I think, too. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Ted thing. would carry around two t- tennis rackets all over Europe and never play <laughs> tennis. <laughs> Every day, Mattel would be like, "Why are you carrying these <laughs> tennis rackets? Why do we? Why are we checking this?" And he would never play. I never saw him play a game of tennis ever. <laughs> I can move Great with that. Great player, the man. He is. Yeah. Great player. Yeah. 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 ask you because i've seen you play with Steely Dan. Uh, two two questions. One is uh in regards to I know you're a real stickler for like accuracy and and with that sort of gig you have to honor the parts in those solos and there's signature solos. When i look at a video of Wayne Krantz who i love Wayne Krantz, he kind of just played his own thing on there, didn't
1: he? When he did he played with Steely Dan, he just... Yeah, he did. It sounded like that to me. I mean I mean i i had to make up you know, I had to make a choice when I joined the band of how to approach it. Um, so they didn't tell you you no, have to learn. They, no, they just no, said here's the tunes anything. and really never told me anything. I can tell you the one time I've told the story before, but it's it's pretty. I, I get a kick out of it. It was uh, really the only time in what's been like eighteen years of work with them, I guess now um, that they that either one of them ever. Sort of hinted at telling me what to play i remember we we were at a sound check and for some reason they had decided to put Hey 19 in the set and it had we hadn't been doing it for a long long time and um we so we ran it at sound check because he wanted to do it donald wanted to play it that night so whenever i had played it before i always quoted that that first little uh I guess melody. I, I think of it more like, it's almost like a melody. It's, it's a, it's a little solo intro figure, you know? Um, how does it go? I mean, you know, like, yeah, uh, why it show us. It's that one, uh, you know, like, um, you know, before that, day, you know, like, all that, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and, um, and I, I didn't really remember it. So I I got close, but I, i didn't really play it you know uh i had to i had to sort of fake my way through it you know and uh so at, at the end of the sound check donald donald kind of walks over me like a little bashfully you know and he comes over to me and says like "Hey, john you know uh you know that uh that little thing in the front of a19 <laughs> oh forget it <laughs> 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 as much as it's just like he sounded and like that's all i got you know and i said i said i know donald i know i know so, so maybe because i much. guess i guess he had felt like it would have been nice to have it like the record i think i i think that's what he might have meant you know i don't really know because he's never said that about anything else and if anything i think in a way the choices i make are probably more conservative than they even would would want you know, I mean they they don't by any means need to reproduce the records when we play live. On the other hand, they have extremely high standards as far as musicianship goes. They want it to you know feel good. They want it at the right tempo. They mm-hmm. they want uh, people to play in tune. They want it to sound great. Mm-hmm. You know they want people to be listening. They you want know, so all those musical, in all those sort of musicianship ways, they they have they have high standards, but they don't by any means. Approach the live gig as, like something like like the Eagles seem mm-hmm. to do, you know, where like the idea is to sort of Replicate. render the albums, yeah. you know, live, you know, which which could be really fun if you're a serious fan of those, and I am, so I, I could enjoy that too, but for me, um, because they never tell me what to do, it w- I had the choice of deciding, like, okay, you know, how am I going to approach this, and uh, do I want to make this you know, sort of an exercise in using this as an opportunity to discover me and some personal signature way of playing? Or or would I prefer to play it basically like the records or mm-hmm. or maybe some hybrid of the two, you know? And what I decided over, over time uh, was that, first of all, since Steely Dan is such a hybrid band, it's nothing if not a hybrid, you know, in terms of style and... You know, it's got jazz harmony, but it's got mm-hmm. sort of no real jazz guitar sounds they're all sort of blues and rock guitar sounds and um you know so it's coming from so many different places at once you know uh in terms of the influences that make up the whole music and because they're they're both fans of improvisers obviously um you know they they call people to improvise on the records, but when they pick a solo and it's usually so sort of strikingly you know unusual and original uh and then you hear it as a pop song like played on the radio for years and years and you get to know this thing it's like part of your like psyche. it's You've I got, mean it has yeah, I mean it's it. like sort of so so some of that you know I mean you can easily imagine fans and I'm a fan being disappointed if you, tomatoes, if you don't if you play don't play some of that I mean how you know? are you going to you know I you mean can you really play reel in the years, reel in the with, years without thank you. Uh,
2: That's what I was about to say you have I mean to
1: play you, that. I mean it seems it yeah. is the melody I mean no it's it's played in a particular way you know and uh and so, so for instance, that one, I, I don't you ever sort of play that to, song without playing it. it. And, yeah. I, and I, I'm happy to do it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, some people, you know, are re- just like really, they're incredibly fussy about like having all of their playing be sort of, you know, spontaneous all the time. It has to be fresh and they, they don't ever want to do anything the same way twice, and then there are other other people who, like like I said, other schools of thought. Like mm-hmm. say, the Eagles is a perfect mm-hmm. example where where that's the idea. Play it mm-hmm. <laughs> play it the same way every time, mm-hmm. pretty much. I mean, you know, um, Joe Walsh is a, is a, a, a wonderful wild card that way. Mm-hmm. But you know, but in a lot of ways, they they all they're all up for that. You know, uh, that job of making it as beautiful as the records, and they and they succeed. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful. So anyway, uh, but with Steely Dan. You know, because it's a hybrid, I I decided that I can be free to choose. Like sometimes, I can script something and play it that way, like it's like it's a worked out you know sort of like a pop kind of band concept. Other times, I I wanna I wanna be freer than that, and and I don't want this to be a you know a, a sort of closed and cover band like experience. I want it to be fresh, and so so. But I mean you know, several years into the gig, the light bulb went off and so said, well, I can do whatever I want here. They're mm-hmm. not telling me what to do. So I'm either going to, you know, live by the sword or die by the sword. I mean, it's up to me. So I didn't want to make choices. I didn't want to be second guessing, like, oh, I wonder what they want. So I said, I'm just going to do what I want. And mm-hmm. if they fire me, fine. At least I gave them my best, you know. But, uh, but also I, I figured out how, like, to be flexible about this. In other words, like sometimes, you know, I would, uh, beginning of a tour, for instance, I would play a tune, and uh, it would feel like a really wide open thing, and I, I wasn't, it wasn't one of those signature solos on the record that you have to do, you know, I didn't feel any of that, so I would just kind of enjoy being free about it and, and being spontaneous and just improvising my way through. But then, you know, several weeks into the tour, I'd be learning like things that that were working that either I got a response from the audience or I, I just liked it. You know, I thought, oh, that's good. I'm going to do that again, you know? And so, Fun, you know, in a funny way, sometimes things that were never scripted would begin to become sort of scripted by mm-hmm. the end of a tour. And then other things where I would start like not being able to improvise on something so that was maybe too hard or something. So I would write something or maybe write two or three different solutions that I could kind of rely on and just pick one, you know, each night, you know, then... But then, like, after playing that for several weeks, I realized, well, I don't need to do that anymore. I, I I, can improvise on this and get a little looser with it. And that felt fresher and more alive. So the idea of being flexible like that and and being able to treat it not with some dogmatic sort of strict way of looking at it, but, be, but to sort of let it be a lot looser was was a, a great well, I mean, discovery for me. A, you, know?
2: you know, you're such a great player, man. Even your quote mistakes would still be on such a high level that it would you know even even well, if you went for something it wasn't what you wanted it's not gonna suck you know well so you. that that but know. it's great uh, it's <laughs> great to have a gig like that because john and Darrow like that they let me they don't tell me anything yeah. it's the same way it's it, what you're describing
1: is basically
2: holland elts too it's well, funny that's good. And, yeah. you know
1: but i mean for instance like like if do you guys ever play kiss on my list
2: okay yeah every night yeah so
1: now I couldn't do that gig without playing that solo. I mean, do you play that solo or do you... you Oh, yeah, I play that solo. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's like one of the greatest... People sing along with it. To me, it's one of the greatest pop guitar solos of all time. I mean, that one and Third World Man are like up there in the the top of my list, you know? Yeah. And I I just, I wouldn't want... I don't... Even though it'd be fun to play Third World Man and not play just to see what you could come up with, it's so beautiful. I can't. I can't resist playing it. you know they throw tomatoes on stage and stuff. <laughs> but that's but, so melodic, and I, I think you know it, you it clearly to, must have been somebody, composed. Somebody you have it to honor improvised. that
2: somebody sang that. It might have, I don't know if it's G. Smith, probably at that point, and he came up with some genius stuff. And and I've been in the studio with I'm Morgan with him now every day this whole month, and I know how he works in the studio, and it's sure. probably the same back then. Where yeah, he's probably. very hands-on, and he'll sing. Yeah, he'll probably things. sing what he wants. He's got to hear. a great ear and a oh, great yeah. idea of melody. So that all that stuff was he just he probably sang it. He you know. might have, I don't know, but because yeah. it, it's a very No, oh, it's, it's it's a very composed. unconventional guitar thing. It is, but it's very musical. It's very, it's so simple. It's hard, yeah. and when you're playing that thing through a screaming, you know, Marshall amp in an arena, it's so easy to screw it up. You know, you're trying to look cool, play it, and go up for this whole this, you know. All this kind right. of stuff, but, I like it's, that. but anyway, it's a great one. You know, let's get back to man. I was, what is this tune? What is this? What is that? Which one Black is that? Black Friday.
1: Black Friday. How does that one? Shit, just, just show me a little bit how you play on That's, that. That's, uh, I mean,
0: um,
1: that one's a that one's a really interesting one to me because. It lures you into a sense of uh, comfort, you know, mm-hmm. because it's just basically, you know, an E7. It's kind of an E blues for like 16 bars <laughs> or something, you know, and then it throws you the curve of the, uh, you know, the the turnaround. I guess you call it. It's which, which is an A chord and then a, a an E minor over, over G and then F sharp seven and then back to the E minor over G and then an E, e flat E flat minor seventh and then an A over a D, and then an A over a B. Like, uh, so uh, those are, that's, let's see. It's a little different, yeah, it's, uh, the, the, which, the first one is an A chord, oh, uh, just, a, just a plain A chord, and then and it's an E minor over G. Uh, and then E-flat minor, and then and then D-major 9 or A over D, and then, and then yeah, 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 that's what it is, so it's, okay, it's, so it's, right, right, oh, i sorry, that's it, that was it, that's it, and E-flat minor, yeah, and then D, said, <laughs> right,
2: right, and yeah,
1: then they, then they then come the up really
2: quick, yeah, it's really quick, so,
1: you know, so, I mean, in the me- and when I was trying to learn how to improvise on that, um, which is really tough, you know, a lot of people just blow it off and they just, like, keep playing in in blues and E, but that doesn't work so well when you, when you get to the E flat minor chord, you know, you can't, a lot. you're not going to find a lot of notes that right. work in the, <laughs> an E blues scale on that chord. So, so you kind of have to pay attention and, um, and I had to sort of stop and, and work some things out, you know, to get through that and sound convincing to me. But it's an interesting thing because uh, the first chord is not so bad, neither is the second. But this is getting a little funny, you know. And then, and then this is really, really gets funny. And then that's somewhere else. Now we're kind of coming back, you know, like, in terms of harmonically. But um, the first thing I did was like, okay, well, what's the melody? What's the, what is it? What is Donald singing when those chords are happening? Like, uh, and it's kind of you know Johnny one note. It's
0: uh,
1: a. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so it's just two notes it? um so so the first thing I did was try to look for uh, um, look for simple like you know a single note on each chord because it's going by so fast I mean yeah. you could sort of like you could sort of find like like a chord scale relationship for like this okay like, you know and then like uh, same thing yeah and like yeah a, and like a, maybe a but, it it it's, it, but who's really gonna have the time to do that, that? I mean like because because they, they, you know, yeah. they, they're going by so quickly so so that's not a, a strategy that's gonna be very helpful I don't think so so you know um, chord to, anyway to make a long story short what I ended up uh, finding like was a kind of simple a way of simplifying the the sort of chords I, I look for these triads so here's here's an a chord right for the first one. Here's a G chord for the second one. There's F sharp for that. Then back up to the G chord, and then uh, and then back to the F sharp for the E flat minor, and then like uh, and then up to the A again, two A's. So so basically three three triads oh. can get you through the whole thing. So so first I said okay let's just let's just practice playing notes in those triads because they're going by like. Okay, so that's and that and you can hear they kind of yeah. work, you know. So, so then I said, well, okay, that sounds that's not gonna get, that's not very musical yet, but it's it's a simplification of those chords where I don't have to think so much. I'm not right. thinking about scales, and I'm not thi- I'm not thinking about. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's all one one animal, you know. Like a, sure. it's a triad, okay, yeah. and that, that's a little easier. So, so you could play like okay, so I could learn to play. Uh, triads in different positions too. So let's uh, so let's look for every A in in this uh, the solo range thing or everywhere, you know. Everywhere, you know. So get all the A's and then get all the G's that you can find, you know. and get all the F sharps you can find. And then and then say so, okay, well, the how about we go A and a G and then and like a keep going down and like so or go the oh, other nice. way. Say like if uh, start with an A here and like a and I got all right. See, I've gotten like yeah. triads that go the other way. Right. So if you can learn to see those things and quickly find the next triad, then then you're sort of you're teaching yourself some of the raw materials that might help you like find you know find notes. And then I would, and then I think remember the next thing I did because I wasn't happy with the way I was playing and when I just tried to wing it, it just wasn't mm-hmm. working for me. Mm-hmm. Um. So I I. I decided I start composing like little ways of getting through that, like solutions. And I and I I was gonna I just trusted that if I wrote enough of these solutions that I'd be learning the things that I would need to learn in order to improvise on it. Which which of course because what's the difference? I mean, improvising is sort of composing like in real time. Right. But if it's composing in real time, it means you can also do it. Not in real time, but like in your practice room. So I would take it home and I'd write. The first one I remember writing was like something like... Yeah, okay. two, three, four, so Yeah, like... Uh, whatever, you know. So it was the idea of, um, you know, making something easier to play. Like, or, or I think... My, I mean, even before that, I probably went like... Yeah. Or... Like, or Something like that, yeah. I'm, where I'm just uh, something simple. Mm-hmm. So finding a, finding a juicy note that Calm you can kind of make a little, uh, or just a third of each of those triads. Sorry,
2: those are weird changes, man. Two three,
1: Sorry. Four, two, three, four. So two, three, that, four. So that's the idea. So, but then, um, so then I would like I try to say, okay, well. Um, I can get fancier with this and really try to use this arpeggio idea. Like, and I remember coming up with one, uh, I'm not sure I can remember it anymore, but like, let me try it three, four. Yeah. You know, exactly. So, yeah, so, yeah. so that one, like, um, again, it takes advantage of like the, like, uh, of not just doing the automatic,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, not that thing right in a row like that. So, uh, it, you have to be able to see the you know the the chords in different spots and you know anyway that that that's kind of one of the ideas and um, but you, you know like or you can do like these that, that chord outline thing mm. yeah you know, and then you kind of come back in that way so. uh, You get the idea. So, and then it's and then you then you breathe a sigh of relief and you you're back in the blues, you
0: know.
1: yeah. Which is a relief after all that. <laughs> yeah,
0: man.
1: But it's fun, here. you know. And at, at times, when I'm playing the tune enough, I I, uh, I get to a point where I I can sort of I can sort of wing it and and have mm-hmm. it be okay. Sometimes I still choose to play, uh, you know, something that you know like that one because it's because it's it's kind of a it's a wow, for the yeah, wow factor of it. Sure. You know? <laughs> but, you know, are there more that tunes soon. like that, that one? Well, or are
2: there a little more?
1: There are some, but that, that's that's probably the most unique that way. I mean, um because like I said, it, it, you know, playing it on E7 for all that long, all of a sudden like, oh God. Yeah. It goes from like the easiest thing to play to, to one of the most difficult. <laughs> like, and they usually have, I mean, they usually throw you a curve, those Stylian tunes, you know. There are very few of them that that don't do something funny, you know, Um i think of other ones that are... None quite like that one. Um, peg is difficult, you know, especially the vamp at the end of peg. It's really not easy. They throw you a curve there, too. It's the, um, you know, it's... You know, like... Oh, yeah. uh, like, uh... No, it's actually, the, it's the chorus you're on. And then it's like, uh... Yeah. And then... Uh, but then it's like... And like, uh...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's really it, it's it's this one especially it goes out of the key and uh but just just for a split second so it's like ah oh, it's such a nuisance you know but then, uh, but it's cool it sounds <laughs> yeah. great but uh, but it's it's you can't know, you can't, you can't just do the same thing you know you have to like you have to uh so again you know you have to the Boss had some tunes like that Yeah too. he does no, he had a lot true. of those tunes yeah.
2: man where you really had to navigate some uh, of those
1: yeah. cuz they go out of the key a little bit here uh-huh. and there and, uh, yeah, it's not. That's just always fun. See the clock go tick, tick, tock. All the long day, the minute hand, he's making plans. The second hand obeys. Another day.
2: So anyway, I'm going to see you. We're going to be doing a co-bill you just told me. That's right. In London? Oh, London and Dublin, I think both. Halloween. So I'm going to check out those parts. I'm going to check out Black Friday. Okay. <laughs> I'll be on the
1: side stage. John! Yeah. That's, we'll probably do it. We It's been most every night's set list for years. Pretty consistent now. set list? Pretty much, yeah. There's There's about a handful of maybe six or seven tunes that get rotated in and out periodically. Like uh, home at last will replace Babylon Sisters because it has the same groove, you know. Yeah. Um, things like that, you know. So yeah. we have we have both those in our repertoire and we play them a lot, but but uh, there's not really room for all the. I don't know. We may not, We know about eighty tunes or something, but you know, over the years we played that played that many, but there there probably are thirty that we regularly play, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know, maybe twenty. 22 or something maybe gets in a normal list and then there's about like I said maybe six to eight more that get get sort of rotated in and out you know but we don't play every day and then there's like maybe 15 that we do pretty much all the Mm -hmm. time you know so it's tricky, you know, when you got when you have so many hits like when that. When you have hits, you know, fans want to hear pretty hits. Pretty tricky, and, and then to, you have it's hit, hard to avoid them. You know,
2: and ten percent of the audience are, are very aggressive and they post and they're like, <laughs> "Why do you guys don't play this yeah, cut and the it's deep not easy. cuts?" And you can't please everybody. And, no, it's you know. a it's a
1: it's a it's a difficult. I guess it's a good problem to have, but it's a problem sometimes. You know. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, that's why those album shows were so refreshing because we would. You know, you'd be able to do, you know, you, you bill it as something else, and then people know what to expect. They know it's going to be different, mm-hmm. and um, that'll bring some hardcore fans out, but it'll also uh, really, you know, allow you to do a different set, sort of guilt-free, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not not easy to do when you no. have that many hits. You know.
2: Let's talk about your, your recent solo project. Well, yeah. it's not recent, because you've had this band together. What is... Um for a while, Dennis and Frank, right? Dennis and
1: Frank, yeah, we, we we put a trio together in the late 80s, actually. That was the first time we played. It's amazing. If it's that long ago, it might be 80, somewhere 88, 89, maybe. That's my guess. And uh, I was just looking for a way to play in bars, you know, and, and to just crank it up and, and play some blues mostly. And uh, it started out like that, but we after we played for a couple of years, we began writing tunes as well. And that led to the first solo record, which I put out the same year I started working with Steely Dan in 2000. Um, and it's really more of like a singer-songwriter record with 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 a bit of guitar, you know. And and I continued kind of in that in that mode when I made solo records. I would make. I actually didn't make another one until about ten years later than that. The shine, shine, shine was after that. But then the the pace picked up, um, and I did one every three years or so, I guess. And um, the last one, uh, I guess it's already been a year since we put it out, uh, is called Adult Entertainment. And uh, it was th- kind of the most fun one to make, as you can imagine from the title. <laughs> I think I
2: heard th- those songs at Daryl's Club when you, play you we, just yeah, we, we yeah, played them. You did? Yeah, then. we played yeah. them there.
1: Yeah, we played a bunch of them then. We didn't get to play those live all that much. What's um, the
2: one where you did to have the tequila toast?
1: Oh, that's that's from an early record. That's from Shine Shine Shine. Um, that one's called "She Reminded Me of You." But that's that was in a way sort of the, uh, an early tune that that sort of had a particular point of view and a sense of humor about the lyrics that that kind of led us down that path to, uh, making a, a, a record, which is almost entirely sort of tunes, you know, like that with the unreliable narrator and, you know, <laughs> kind of a, you know, an amusing lyric. Um, and, and most of the, yeah, it's mostly the, the, uh, a, the collaboration with Dennis uh, Spantman that, uh, led to those, those tunes, um, all but one i think are co-written with Dennis and uh, on that last record and it was the easiest one to make because you know the one before that a record called time on my hands which is which is still my biggest seller actually um i had a i had a serious intention on time on, on my hands to to present a kind of guitar playing with a certain kind of sound and a certain kind of uh, approach that really was an approach i kind of came to over over all the years of playing with Steely Dan Uh, and I realized when I was about to make that record that I I didn't really have like great examples of that kind of playing of mine on a record of my own because of the way I had gone about making records where you know songs first and not guitar playing first you know uh, in the past but I really I decided well you know I really I really want to get that kind of playing, mm-hmm. good examples of that kind of playing of mine um, on my own record. So that I made that a priority on uh, Time on My Hands. And it was difficult because it's not it was not the natural way I would work. Like I'm used to, like when I start thinking about writing a song, I don't think about the guitar solo first. I think about the song, you know. And, and uh, if there's room for a guitar solo in the middle or something, if it's a little melodic break or something, I, okay, that's cool. you know.
2: Having the harmonic knowledge you have, which is pretty advanced, you, you know, I think we both have, you know, we know way too much theory and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and I know that you you know, and which is a tool and it's an asset. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I know how big you are in the songwriting. And just talking songwriting, do you find it uh, hard to shut that part off of your brain just to go for pure melody or, uh, you know, because I've always heard like McCartney... He didn't really want to know the names of chords. He didn't want to uh, yeah. know theory. Like he would call a major seven chord, he would call it the pretty chord. I mean, yeah, you know, right, he doesn't right. care because yes. he thought it would be a hindrance to yeah. his creativity. Well, I
1: think, I, I don't feel it's a hindrance. And uh, I mean, I always had the kind of mind that uh, I was always hungry to to learn something, that if I heard something that I didn't understand, if I couldn't figure it out, I said, like, what is that? You know, I, I'd want to know. And that that's that was sort of true for me as even when I was a little kid, you know, I would just drop the needle on the record. and I could—I got so good I could drop, you know, the needle in the same groove I like, could pull it out of, you know, just to find that chord, you know, and like if it was on piano, I'd be on a piano banging notes out, just trying to hear every little note. And I, I just have always been driven by that. And, and then when I learned you could name them and you could study theory, I, I embraced that too. I just, I, I always felt like it would just give me more confidence. You know, the more I was familiar with and the the more i could sort of you know think about it with confidence the the more tools i'd have you mm-hmm. know i mean uh i can understand sort of not wanting to lose you know that that sense oh that that's the pretty good you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah i mean you want to and you, you want to cultivate that too you never want mm-hmm. to lose that um but i never felt that risk of losing that i mean that you know that always made sense to me and uh well, and yeah, I didn't think there don't was any danger to to my creative process by accumulating more, you know, knowledge and information and, and theory stuff. I mean, uh, there, there's no. I mean, I try to go. By the same token, though, I, I when I'm when I'm writing something or trying to invent a melody, I mean, ideally, I'm thinking in terms of sound, not in and, and not like not thinking with that academic side of my head. You know, you know, I'm not. I'm trying to think with the pure music brain, you know, sure. and, yeah. um, you know, I try to sing something that sounds good to me or I try, I try to find notes that sound right to me and you know combinations of things. Now, of course, you know, the more, you know, the more likely you are to sort of choose things that are mm-hmm. familiar and it's, and it becomes challenging to find totally new things, which is why some people will write on instruments that they don't really know how to play. You know, you sit, I sit me down at a piano and I really can't play it well mm-hmm. enough. I mean, it's going to feel different, you know, um, and sometimes like something that you know the same that sounds like uh, you know too tired and old and boring on a guitar you play it on a on a keyboard instrument and say oh that's beautiful and you realize that's oh it's cool. just it's just a it's chord, just three note chord three chords <laughs> but it's like yeah but you know so <laughs> and Jim Beer goes but, but that's it that's, <laughs> this voicing but that's important <laughs> yeah. to sort of remember like so that you know when you do play a you know an E chord on the guitar you, you say well no that's that's still pretty good you know and and it's important to remember that yeah know? and we were in
2: montana doing this guitar clinic together um
1: two years ago yeah
2: was it two years
1: ago i think it was it just last
2: year last Maybe well last we've year. Been well, the two last year. together but yeah, last year we did the jam with Lee right now that's enough. right that was last year you mentioned to me that you you said that you i don't know what exactly what you told me but i, I seem to remember you said something about i wish i'd had done another instrumental record is that right or maybe I, something I, like that but basically my question is do you think you'll do another instrumental re- guitar record
1: i don't know um I've, I've i don't feel uh any strong urge to record anything right now uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of new um but i i think that last record uh, with with my trio you know with frank and dennis uh, adult entertainment that one that one felt like sort of like the last one I cared to do that way. I'm, I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe because of the, because in some ways it's difficult to to make a great sounding record, at, you know, on the cheap, and I have to wear a lot of hats to do it. You mm-hmm. know? And uh, so I'm not sure I have the interest in just tackling that kind of job again. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot. About eight years ago, I uh, I asked my, I gave myself the deathbed regret test, you know? mm-hmm. and like I said, well, is there anything? You know, I was thinking professionally and you know, musically. Uh, is there anything I haven't done that I really want to do? Before, you know, if if I were to die tomorrow, that I would regret not having done. You know, and so I get like, like, do I want to play with this guy or this, mm-hmm. this, this woman? You know, is there is there something else I wanted to do? And the only thing I could come up with was, uh, I thought I might regret it if I didn't, you know, put in more time to try to write more myself, to try to record more, and to try to gig live with with a band of my own more. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to try that. you know. And I also uh, reserved the right to to stop if I felt like I had met the demands of that deathbed regret test. You know? hmm, so, interesting. So, um, I, And I did it, and we worked very hard. I, I found, I, I actually, I worked for about a month on it, and then I said, I can't do this. This is not going to happen, because I was on the phone all the time and on the computer all the time and I'm trying to get anything going on with the band. And I just felt like I wasn't a musician anymore, so... Um, I was kind of complaining to uh, to a, a, an acquaintance I had met at after a Steely Dan show, and you know, I guess I was just belly aching about it for a while. And uh, she says, "Well, you know, I could do that for you. I could do all that, that stuff for <laughs> right. you." I said, "Oh, well, yeah, really?" And uh, and she told, uh, so she uh, she said, "Well, how about we try it for a month, and you know, with no fee, and and you see see what you think, and then we'll." we'll decide after that. So, and that was Susan. Uh, yeah. You know, Susan, it was, uh, she's uh, Susan Johnson. Who's uh,
2: she still, you still work? She's, with yeah. She's, oh, she's, she's great been
1: doing it ever since. And, um, I wish I could and find I, I felt Susan. Free, yeah. I felt freed up to, uh, play the guitar and, and do music mm-hmm. again. And, you know, she took, she takes care of all that, that stuff that a manager would plus a dozen other things, you know, sells the merch, does the web design, you know, everything, you know, so, so that was a huge, uh, like, uh, enabler for me to try this, Little experiment of like working more, we picked up the pace of record making dramatically. Um, you know, recorded a lot more, um, and uh, gigged a lot more. You know, so uh, it was it was a fabulous thing. But I but I also you know, after this many years of doing that, um, I realized it's not it's not as critical to me. And also you know, we never found a way to do it where, you know. I could afford to, you know, hire serious help and do it, you know, in a first-class kind of way, you know. So, you know, I, I would love to do it with a guitar tech, with a guy carrying my gear, picking it up for me, yeah. driving me, and all that. Stuff, you know, but I got to do a lot of that myself sure. because it's just. Otherwise, we're just spending money to, to do the gigs, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, so um, you know, so I've I've backed off a little bit, and I'm okay about that. <laughs> <laughs> bravo, bravo. And I don't know what else i just I just finished another book of uh guitar arrangements. It's now sort of in the works. Susan is getting all the publishing together for that and uh it's another i don't know fourteen songs or something maybe more yeah definitely. and are original compositions or no, standards? No, these are all these are all, mostly standards so your Some own of them are interpretations? pop standards as well oh, wow. as uh jazz standards but but they're all just you know for solo jazz guitar really and that'll and, be uh um, your web website yeah on, on my website too like the other one and uh, and I don't know, I, doing the first one, which is really mostly uh, music that, like, arrangements I had done, like, over 30 years ago mm. with, with my first real guitar, my only real guitar teacher, Harry Leahy. Uh, he was a master at that kind of thing. And so we just we just spent a lot of time just, you know, like, you know, loving those... Oh yeah, little discoveries we'd make mm-hmm. about the chords, you know, like you know, on a standard or something, and uh, you know, reharmonizing tunes. but are just finding great ways to get those notes out of the guitar because it was this was like a new world to me in the beginning. So a lot of the stuff on the fir- in the first book were were sort of uh, revisions of a lot of stuff that I did quite quite a long time ago. But when I was doing it, I got I got I got, got into it again. Mm-hmm. So I would I was I started like writing new arrangements for other tunes that I had never done. So, so this new book is all new ones, you know, which, Oh man, I'd love which to is check very out. different. And, um, and there, there's, there's certain things about the old ones that I, I wouldn't, I, I find out now that I, I don't do anymore. I wouldn't try to do anymore, you know? But um, but I, but I like them, and some really great songs too. Did
2: you ever check out any of the um, Jimmy Weibel studies? I I have. Not the yeah. studies, but I. Well, I don't know if there was. have heard some, him. I think there were actually studies. I had some of that stuff. Yeah, I heard about two, them. I don't know them. You know, two. Oh, the two, thing. Oh yeah, yeah. You told really me. Really beautiful those. things, man. I, yeah, yeah. I used to know a few things.
1: Yeah, I think my taste has always run towards you know. Uh, Again, I, I probably just have conservative taste because in every style I tend to like the stuff that everybody likes. You know, I mean, um, I love those uh, the solo, the few solo arrangements that you hear Wes Montgomery do. You know, and, uh, every once in a while you've here one you'll hear. While We're Young is one of them that was great. I've grown accustomed to Your Face is mm-hmm. another, and and those are just rich and beautiful and very musical, and they're not they're not that difficult to play, but they're uh, but they're beautiful, and just great choices, mm-hmm. and. um and of course Ted Green was just a master, master at that stuff, you know. And a quite different approach to sound, you know. And uh and, and that stuff's like almost about George Van Epps kind of in that Yeah. He was you know, Ted Green is kind of after Van Epps in a way, like it seems like, and another another great great arranger that way too great player that way um but i tend to i love johnny smith He's one of my mm-hmm. favorites and you some know, of that stuff can sound a little old-fashioned that you know, moonlight me, in but, vermont yeah you know, that was him, like yeah. this
2: that yeah, right. chord yeah i remember i did we did this mm-hmm. me and charlie neville had a jazz gig once and i played with him yeah, and he wanted to do moonlight vermont and he told me this right. chord in new orleans in like the when in what, the 50s or whatever he said the guitar player's didn't believe that it was really recorded that way they thought they overdubbed it a multi track or two guitars that was right. he's like the alan holdsworth of 1952 yeah. or whatever <laughs> right. yeah this well, extended like, six thing you
1: know yeah well he would he would do them all over the place like like uh like like uh, like, uh you could know, let's see whether maybe even this one you know those yeah. are ridiculous they're yeah. kind of hard to get like uh he would even do some stuff like that you know which is ridiculous. Yeah. It's just too hard. Yeah. It's too, it's too hard. And he was great at that. And Harry, Harry studied with Johnny Smith. Mm. So I have a kind of direct connection to that. Lineage, Ron Sj
2: is you know? another great... Yeah, He was one of my teachers,
1: too, Ron Sj And Benson is great at this, I too. All He's all beautiful. Things. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. All those kind of little <laughs> things. And Joe Pass was amazing. Oh, and he man. Could, and he could just, he could just like, knock it off without ever having arranged it you know, i have just, a recording. he'd just go for it live and it would be
2: amazing. i had a teacher in 11th grade that took me to hear joe pass a jazz band <laughs> teacher and he had to get permission from my mom because it was a two drink minimum <laughs> club and right. he took me on a on a weeknight school right. night and sat me eight feet from joe pass he was right. just him by himself solo guitar and a few days later uh one of his friend one of my teacher's friends who was a guitar player local hotshot he just liked me he said here he handed me a cassette and it he had bootlegged the whole thing. Oh. And wow. I still have it. It's Joe Pass <laughs> sitting there playing. Man. Unbelievable. It is man. unbelievable, yeah. It really that is. That guy was
1: just wow. Yeah, well pretty amazing.
2: What else, man? I think we've like solved uh the world's <laughs> problems last you were you were playing with Boz and Michael McDonald right the Dukes of We did the Dukes of September I think I pissed Boz off cuz I said "Boz how's the Dukes of Hazard tour going?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dukes of Dixieland. Great band, man.
1: It was fun. We did a DVD that came out pretty well actually. It's, uh, you did? Is it is it it's done? It's a DVD. Oh, yeah, wow. a long time ago. We did it in Oh, man. 20, I'm so out of touch. 2012, I guess maybe. Wow. Yeah, and they were, it's it's available somewhere. I don't know where it is, but uh I have a copy somewhere. Yeah, and it sounds pretty good. It came out pretty well. I that was, I was exhausted. I had to fly back from like a Madeline tour mm. you know, in Europe, and, and then we did like I don't know. We did a run through of every song, and we did a camera blocking of every song. And it was a, I was ready right to keel over. I think you know, I came I directly those, in for I that. I remember
2: those Bodskag sound yeah. checks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bod's
1: cool, man. I I love Boz We had fun. We had a lot of fun. <clears throat> he's still he's still working oh yeah he's, he's still, still working time.
2: my buddy of mine's playing drums now and oh yeah I recommended Who? him uh, David Northrop, okay Nashville Cat he's good he's, he knows every Precaro groove oh, yeah. inside cool. and out perfect and I talked to Chris the other day and he's Boz's manager for those listening and he said man this guy's like playing grooves that Boz hasn't heard in years because <laughs> he knows all the of
1: course yeah.
2: but I love Kahari, man he was such a great player and he was yeah all those it. cats man yeah we had fun so anyway um man we could talk all kinds of things well get we, us in trouble but we, we won't
1: we can uh, continue in uh, dublin or yeah or uh, well now, i'm going to be drinking guinness in dublin
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> we, like that a plan. would be great we could be drinking guinness
1: and do this man i got a great little uh little irish music spot to go to too
2: the f- when you first hooked me up with madeline Peru's gig i that's when we started rehearsals.
1: Was Dublin? Oh wow! That's the first time I, I had ever never met her. been there. i would only been I've only been there once, and it was this yeah. year with Madeline. Actually,
2: we uh, we played. Uh, was it the Olympia? I think. And I had played mm-hmm. there before years before, but <laughs> we just started rehearsing. Yeah, showed up and um, and it was a kind of funky re- rehearsal studio, uh, like yeah. just nasty shag carpet. And Madeline's just sitting <laughs> on the carpet smoking cigarettes. Like <laughs> just, I love her, man. It's cool. <laughs>
1: We've been having fun on those gigs. Yeah, I'm gonna get her on this. She said she would do it. We got a gig in September in September if you're around. At the uh, City Winery. So oh yeah. Two nights at the City Winery. Oh wow, I'd love to yeah,
2: yeah I'll go check it out.
1: Say a little Barack. I love Barack. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, John, but look man, thank you so much for My making pleasure. time. Thank you for and um
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah. You wanna just you wanna just play a few seconds or something oh, and play sh- us out? Sure. If Anything. Think of something. You just start something. Mm. Just keep it three chords for me. Okay, three chords. I got. No, I, I, got one, I got one. I got one with three
1: chords. Uh. <laughs>
2: Still here, God bless you. Wow, you must be a fan of John's, and uh, wow, what great insights he has! Thank you guys for listening. I'll give you my normal spiel. I do this as a labor of love, so uh, but it does take a little bit of work actually, a lot of work. So, let me hear from you. You know, spread the word, feel free to share. I have some other great guests I'm working on right now. I usually only only interview people I know, so at some point I will run out, but it's fun while it's going on. So please spread the word. Thank you for listening. See you next time.